by a raise of hand, raise of hands, who's seen that movie? Is that not the one of the best Disney movie endings of all time? I mean, do you have you seen it, Mr. John? It's it's called Coco. Coco. Hey, so real quick, <laughs> I have guys. I have a Spanish friend, and he came to eat dinner with us uh, a couple months ago, and I said. Bro, have you seen Coco? It's amazing. And he's like, you talking about Coco? And I'm like, Coco, the Disney movie. He's like, Coco. And I'm like, oh, I'm not saying it right. Coco. Coco is a fantastic Disney movie. Um, there's, so we're not talking about Coco tonight. We're not talking about Disney. We're going to be talking about Jesus, right? That's always the question we ask. What are we going to be talking about tonight? What have we been talking about? We've been talking about Jesus. We're talking about 1 Thessalonians. Thank you. 1 Thessalonians. Hey, so the reason to show that, uh, that clip was because it's been playing in my house for the past probably six months every day on repeat. That, Moana, uh, Lion King, uh, Encanto. Have y'all seen Encanto? Great movies. Great movies. The reason I showed that one is because it is my favorite ending. It's my favorite ending because it is... It is the coolest and most happiest ending of all time. Huh? Oh, I'm so sorry. Mr. John, and, and I should have asked that. If you haven't seen the movie, whoops, I'm sorry. I just spoiled it for you. But uh, I'm not going to go too far into it. Huh? That's not the very end. It's kind of sort of the end. So anyways, listen to me. The reason I showed that movie is because it's part of one of the best ending Disney movies, in my opinion. And along with Lion King, Moana, Matilda, that's a weird one, but it was on my list. I love Matilda, if y'all have ever seen Matilda. What we're going to be talking about tonight is an ending that isn't going to be so great for some people. Now, as we move into this, I want to ask the question, and I've kind of already asked about it. We've been in 1 Thessalonians. Mr. Corey brought the end of chapter 4 last week. Do y'all remember what we talked about, what Mr. Corey went through the coming of Jesus. Do you remember what that word is called? The rapture. The rapture. Good job. So Mr. Corey went through what is known as the rapture last week. And he, he kind of formed it around the topic of death. And the hope that believers have, believers of Jesus Christ have in people who have fallen into death. They have hope to see them again one day. But the main idea for tonight's message is a little bit different, and I want us to kind of form it around this idea, and it's been a reoccurring theme throughout 1 Thessalonians. You've probably heard me say it every time I've been up here. It's called living in the light of the gospel. And so what Paul continues to write in this letter is how we are to be influenced right now by God's word to live in our present circumstances with respect to future events that are coming down the line. That's a long way of saying, how are you living right now in your present circumstance, in your present life, when we have God's Word telling us that there is an event that's coming down the line, an event of judgment? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, So as we move into chapter 5, really, if you, by the way, I always say this, we have, I'm using the same Bible that y'all have the opportunity to use. I like to do it because 
Uh, we're family, right? But anyways, uh, no, I typically forget my Bible, but this is a great Bible. If you need a Bible, we have some on the back table back there. Mr. Corey or Mr. Christian would love to hand you one. If you need one to take home, take it. That's what they're there for. They're great to mark up and write notes in. Um, but as, as we move into tonight's uh, message, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, you'll see in most of your Bibles, it has a, it's, it's a chunk of Scripture. And it's verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to break that basically right half in the middle tonight. Mr. Corey's going to get the second half tomorrow, but, or uh, next week, not tomorrow. Um, Mr. Corey's face kind of got, got surprised for a second. Um, but this is an important part of Paul's letter. And so from an introductory standpoint, as we move into tonight's message, I want us to think about what Paul taught this church when he was there in Thessalonica. If you remember the first message that we provided on 1 Thessalonians, we read out of the book of Acts and we read how this church was formed. And so we see the text in this letter infers that that, that Paul taught the church about a coming day of judgment. And yet, it appears that these, these church members had questions and they were somewhat puzzled about some of the details that were coming. And so, um, if you can click that slide for me up there, for next slide. Uh, really, when you look at the questions that you can kind of pull out of the text, these are the questions that it seems that the church was asking. The first one was, what happens to Christians who die prior to the Lord's return? Mr. Corey talked about that last week. Was it possible that they missed the Lord's return and were now living in the day of the Lord? That's a whole crazy subject in itself. And then the last question is, what would be the signs indicating that the end of the age was coming? What are those signs? How do we know that the, the, uh, the day of the Lord, as we're going to learn and talk about tonight, to be known, that that is coming? Um, as we turn to chapter 5, that is what is going to hit us right in the face. Now, has anybody heard of that before, the day of the Lord? And in, in maybe in your own Bible study, I see a few hands. Um, before we even jump into tonight's scripture, I want to kind of linger on that term a little bit. Um, so there, this church here, they, there must have been some event that they... Saul, and they thought that this was so soon, this was so impending, that maybe they thought that, hey, it's going to happen tomorrow, right? It's going to happen tomorrow. We actually talked about that in chapter 4, before Christmas break, in verses 9 through 12. If you remember, Paul was talking about working with your hands, staying out of people's business, leading a quiet life. And it seemed like there were certain people in this church that were like, all up in arms because of the possibility of the day of the Lord coming at any moment. And so these people were living in anticipation of this happening. So what I wanted to do is I want to spend some time looking at some of the Old Testament and even New Testament references to the day of the Lord. Because I want us to make sure that we understand what that is because it will bring context to what Paul is writing about in his letter tonight. So uh, if you can go to the next slide, please. Uh, By the way, if you have a Bible, we're going to be flipping a lot tonight. I I want Scripture to speak for itself. I want God's Word to show us some of the truths that reside in it. Um, If there's ever a time that you are like taking notes and you're like, man, Chad is just spitting out Scripture. I can't write it. 
Come find me at the end. I've, I can make you a copy of my notes that I'm looking at, and I'll give them to you if you, if you want Scripture references. But anyways, uh, I want us to look at uh, the last book in the Bible, actually, uh, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says this. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's a lot, right? Let me, let me break that down a little bit for you. This is a picture of the day of the Lord, okay? This is a devastating picture, actually. You have words like a day that's coming that's burning like an oven, right? Those, this isn't a good picture. It's a negative picture, and it's a picture of judgment. But what's cool is you see in verse 2, it talks about the opposite to people, or the, uh, the opposite side of, of this, where people who fear God's name, you know, what happens to these people too? Now... As we move through these next series of verses, it's kind of a logical flow. So we see a picture here of the day of the Lord, right? Well, notice in verse 5, it talks about Elijah the prophet. Elijah. It says, and the coming of Elijah. Now, this is important. So if you can go to the next slide for me, please. We're going to turn to the New Testament now, and we're reading out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17. Now, this is how Matthew chapter 17 goes. It says in verse 10, And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come. This is he being Jesus. Jesus answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So we see that the arrival of this day of the Lord from really looking at the Old Testament and then looking at Matthew had in some sense come very near to these people. We see Jesus saying that John the Baptist was this Elijah that was being talked about in Malachi, the Old Testament. And so another, to- another term I'm going to throw at you. There's a lot tonight. Another term I'm going to throw at you is the kingdom, the term kingdom. There's references to the term kingdom all throughout the Bible. There's a tension to that too. There's references to kingdom that has come and there's some that is to come. So real quick, switch switch slides for me. Take a look at these two verses. Psalm 103, 19, that's Old Testament, says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. This passage appears to indicate... That the kingdom is active right now. We have an active kingdom. But then look at what Zechariah says. On that day, that day being the day of the Lord, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in the summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and this, and this name one. We see here that... There is somewhat of a kingdom that is to come and a kingdom that currently exists, right? Now, 
here in Zechariah, it seems to me, or it seems to show that this is a special and new thing. This kingdom is something to come. And then if you can switch slides for me real quick. Next slide. Take a look again in Matthew and Luke. This is Jesus talking. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 28. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you all know of any uh, parables or or maybe actually uh, biblical events that we've read and talked about where Jesus was casting out demons? Y'all, we've talked about it in life groups, right? So Jesus is saying, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then Luke chapter 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Twice here, Jesus was saying that the kingdom was, was here. And so when you look at all these verses, I know that was kind of like right in, right in your face with Scripture. But think of this flow. Elijah, remember back in the Old Testament, he said Elijah had to come. Elijah has to come. And then once Elijah, who was John the Baptist, was here, then then the day of the Lord could potentially occur. And so we have Jesus here. The arrival of the Son meant the arrival of the kingdom. And so the arrival of the kingdom meant the arrival of the last days. Okay? And so I know that's a lot, but from a background standpoint, we have that in our back pocket as we move into 1 Thessalonians. Because this church knew something about the day of the Lord. We're going to see that as we read. So tonight, um, I have Mr. Peyton Batten. He's going to come up here and read some scripture for us. We're reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Woo! Yeah. Oh, okay. So I have to speak loud. Yeah, so oh, okay. in, hold on. in honor of God's words, will you please stand? So just to first five. First five. Okay. Yes, sir. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Dear Lord, we thank you for gathering us here tonight, God. We ask that you would um, open up our ears and allow us to listen and um, keep us from any distractions that may cross our paths, Lord. Um, We thank you for all that you do, God, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's that's kind of a weak (laughs) Good job, (laughs) Peyton. Okay, um, so I'm going to kind of break this scripture up for us as we move through these five verses I want us to kind of hone in just on the first verse there. That first verse says, Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So what this text really begins is is kind of a response to a question. And it's the question is, is when is this going to happen? It may be that a letter had arrived from Thessalonica or that Timothy, who was one of Paul's close associates, had brought back this question from the church, signaling that the church was desiring for more information about the, the end times. 
After all, if the Thessalonians knew the times and seasons, right? We see that in verse 1 concerning the times and season of Christ's return. They could prepare for it, right? Have y'all, do y'all have pop quizzes in school for all of you non I don't know. Do, do homeschoolers have pop quiz- yes. quizzes? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I didn't know. It just kind of hit me. I was like, does that, does that happen? Y'all ever had pop quizzes? No? So they give you like indication when they have quizzes for everything? No. Okay, I was about to say, man, when I was in school, I got pop quizzes and like, that's not fun. Okay? Pop quizzes, you don't know when it's going to happen, right? But if your teacher says, hey, you've got a test on Friday... You better know you're like Monday to Thursday you're studying or you just wait till Thursday night at 12 a.m. and you realize, oh, I've got a test tomorrow. I've got to study the rest of the night. This is what we have here in, in a sense here with this church. But what's unique here is that Paul says they already have information. Look at verse 2. It says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul says something here that's very interesting, um, and I want to hone in before we even get to thief. I want to talk a little bit about the times and the seasons. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, that, that phrase, times and seasons, is utilized. And it says this. Yeah, there we go. So when they, come, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is something fixed by God the Father. And it's, and it's really been tempting for the church to try to figure out times and seasons. It's really not an error on the Thessalonians here. In addition to what we saw, even the apostles in Matthew were asking questions or, yeah, excuse me, even the apostles in the book of Matthew were asking Jesus for signs of his coming. And so he didn't give it to them. Obviously, if you go back and read, he didn't give it to them. But if Paul and Jesus both told us we don't know, that's enough, right? We shouldn't go searching? Well, not exactly. It's, it's kind of human condition for us to always yearn to try to find more information. There was a guy, a NASA engineer. His name was Edgar Wisenot. Okay, and uh, in 1988, Edgar wrote this book right here called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. And that book sold 4 million copies. So 4 million people were like interested enough to know when and if this rapture was going to happen when he said it would. He actually pinpointed it to September 11th through the 13th of 1988, which actually fell right in line with a Jewish holiday. And so... Guess what? The rapture didn't happen on September the 11th through the 13th. So what do you think Mr. Edgar did? Any ideas? What you got? He like himself? No, not exactly. What you got? He wrote another book. He didn't write another book, but close. He just moved the timeline a little bit. He said, oh, I made a mistake. It's actually October 1988 is going to happen. So October came and went and there was not a rapture. So what did he do? He moved it to the right again. And as a matter of fact, Edgar moved it years in advance. He, he predicted in 89 it would happen, in 93, 94, and it didn't happen. We are accustomed to wanting to search and yearn for those, those details of when Jesus might return. I have a quote from a pastor named John MacArthur. 
He says this, he says, being spiritually prepared for the return of Christ does not involve date setting, clock watching, or sign seeking. God has chosen not to reveal the specific time of ending time events so that believers will live in constant anticipation of them. To be constantly ready that it could happen in the next hour, it could happen tomorrow, it could happen next week. So what Paul is saying here to this church is, They have the information that they need. At this point, we're focusing on preparation. We have to live in constant anticipation of this from occurring. Verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Where's that word thief come from? Have you all ever heard that in a biblical context before outside of 1 Thessalonians? Any ideas? Okay. Uh, can you switch slides for me really quick? Should be to the right. Matthew chapter 24. This is where Jesus is actually talking and he, and he references the days of Noah when people were having very similar things to what was happening or what Paul is describing to this church. Things of peace and security. And in verse 43 here, You see, it says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. The thief here is referred to something that comes at night when you are least expecting it. It comes at a time when no one expects it. And the point of the thief is not necessarily something that's quiet, but the suddenness of it. You don't know when the thief is coming and the thief causes injury to a household. So this is very interesting that we see what Paul is saying here, utilizing the word thief. For you yourselves are fully aware, fully aware. And actually, in my studies, that word fully in the Greek means accurately. They knew that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. Can we go to verse 3, please? Uh, Yeah. Um, So look at verse 3 here. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. The shift here is kind of important to see. The shift says from you to they in verses 2 through 3. So what Paul is saying here is an unbelieving world, an unbelieving person responds to God with an indifference. His warnings and judgments, they're met with yawns. An unbeliever doesn't see what the scripture reading tonight means anything to them. Peace and security equate to this. Uh, you know, these people are oblivious to God. These unbelievers are oblivious. They think everything's fine. The world goes on about its business. However, Paul says Jesus' return and that judgment, the day of the Lord, will be like a thief in the night. And these people are going to be swept away by a sudden destruction. These people were, are and were in danger of being caught unaware. Very interesting. Jesus actually warned of this danger too back in Matthew chapter 7. It, you know, indifference towards God. If you, if you believe in God, but you just don't follow Him, you're not obedient to Him. It's no less deadly than willful rejection of God. Turning your back won't make future events go away. Cries of peace and security, that won't either. So let's, let's picture this. Let's say you're at your house. You're sitting on the back porch, maybe sipping some lemonade or something. I don't know. Chick-fil-A lemonade, that's the best one. And you see a wildfire coming. It's coming right towards your house. 
if, if it's approaching and you're sitting on the back sipping lemonade, that wildfire is going to keep coming. It's not going to go away. And, and likewise, if you're living a life of noble pursuits, if you're living a good life is what the world says, but not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you have great intentions that may look good and they may sound good, you're only moments away from a devastating consequence from what we see in tonight's scripture. Paul's point is that when people are calling for peace and security in verse 3, outside of the gospel, we can be confident that that won't last. And, and really, sudden destruction is only a thief in the night away. Um, so one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, about this scripture was in verse 3 where it talks about labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So I had my first, well, I didn't have a child, but Miss Mally had a child uh, a little bit over 13 months ago. And I know this from a personal level now about these labor pains. Um, but this is interesting. You know, why would Paul u- utilize that in this letter to these people? Labor pains? What does that mean? What do y'all know about labor pains? Have you seen any movies about someone that, or maybe you have a brother or sister, you saw your, your mom or something going into this. What, what happens when this occurs? Violence. Vi- huh? Violence. Violence. They're like, uh, what you got, Mr. Corey? It's like losing a Yeah, that's true. So labor pains can be agonizing. They can be sudden and agonizing. Um, what we see here is imagery that Paul's using that illustrates there is no escaping of this judgment that's coming. A pregnant woman can't say, hey, let's do this later. <laughs> it's coming. That baby is coming one way or the other. And so we see here that Paul puts together two pictures. Something that's sudden and unexpected as well as sudden and unavoidable. But what's really important and what I want us to take away from these first three verses is that we can make preparations for these things. You can have a plan in place for a thief. You can have a safe. You can have a burglar alarm. You can have a plan for pregnancy. You can have your bags packed. You can have friends on the call. You can have a hospital picked out. But for what we're referring to, this judgment that comes with the day of the Lord to unbelievers... It's sudden and it's unavoidable. And so that really leads us to Paul's next point. And that's verses 4 through 5. Paul's next point is about how we should live. So this is how it goes. Paul says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So... We, we read through these first five verses. We see the day of the Lord. We see it coming like a thief in the night. We see words like sudden destruction. We see words like judgment. We read about childbirth, right? Now we see more words like darkness. We see stuff about light and children of the light or children of the day. Things that contrast one another. We see light. It's nighttime right now, right? But if we were here tomorrow... At 7.14 a.m., there'd be light shining through. It's, it's a contrast. Now, this darkness here that Paul is referring to, it's a spiritual darkness. This is a spiritual darkness that he's referring to. 
Now, believers and unbelievers in Jesus Christ, we live in the same day, right? Same 24 hours. So Paul says, no, you're not in the darkness. He's referring to believers. You're not in that darkness. Even if it is nighttime outside, you're not in the darkness because he's referring to a spiritual darkness. Like, therefore, Paul says, when the day comes, it will not be like a thief, like one who breaks into your house and loots it and steals it and destroys it and ruins your life and takes your money and your possessions like sudden destruction because you're believers. You have that relationship with Jesus Christ you won't experience the day of the Lord like the rest of the world will. And that's fantastic news. Now, Paul says here, again, believers are sons of light in a spiritual sense. And, and what that means is really unique. And I'm going to close out tonight actually talking about that because that is really huge when it comes to walking in the gospel, walking in the light that we have to offer. Can you go to the next slide, please, ma'am or sir up there? John chapter 8. We see Jesus talking about this. I'm going to read this really quick. John chapter 8 says in verse 39, They answered him, Abraham, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, You were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I know that's a lot, but do we see what, what this this passage is painting to be a child of someone is to do what they do to have the same orientation of what life is for and what you do with it children are in step with their father we see that here this is what it means to be sons of light to be in step with the light to be shaped by the light a child of someone means you share their loves and you see that in verse 44 the works of you and the will of you and the loves of you follows the Father. And so if you flip back to First Thessalonians five, one through five for me, we we see the idea of sonship here. And it was that this church were sons of light. He said, But you are not in darkness, that spiritual darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul is saying the day of the Lord is not going to overtake you like a thief because you are these sons of light. Now, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? I've got, I know we've gone through a lot of Scripture tonight, but Scripture speaks for itself. I want to, I want to walk through one more passage with you. So please, uh, up there, we switch to slide John 12. Is that one not on there? If not, it's okay. I can read it. All right, listen to me real quick. John chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. 
while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. There's that, that reference to sons of light again. Jesus is that light being referenced here. And, you, and, and he actually said the word overtake. It's the same overtake that we see in verse 4. Or surprise, for that day to surprise you, to overtake you, to surprise you. The one who walks in this spiritual darkness, this spiritual darkness that is due to unbelief in Jesus Christ, they can't see where they're going. And Jesus says, while the light is still here, to believe in that light, to become in sons of light, that means to repent of our sins and of our wickedness and really to believe in Jesus. And so I close out tonight as we as we get towards it. I hope to, that tonight was not terribly boring. I know sometimes when you go through a lot of scripture, you're like, oh my gosh, when's he going to like actually talk about something? But scripture speaks for itself. And all this stuff was hopefully putting in your back pocket the understanding of what these terms meant, the day of the Lord, what it means to be sons of light, what it means that there is a day of the Lord on the horizon. Paul wrote this letter back almost, or almost probably 2,000 years ago at this point. And so you're like, oh, he's just talking to this church. What, what does that mean to me? In Camden County, in January of 2024, why should I care about some day of the Lord that's in the Bible? Well, if you believe the Bible to be true and it to be God's word and that God never tells a lie and that everything is, comes to fruition, it comes true with what's in the Bible, then we have a day of the Lord that's coming. And the unbeliever will see this as sudden, and it means sudden destruction for them. But for you that believe in Jesus Christ, for us that have Him as our Lord and Savior, we are instead inhabited by Jesus, the light of the world. You're just a chip off the old block, and you're marked by that light. And so you will not be destroyed at the coming of the Lord. We'll be saved from that. Um, And so, as we close out, there was a couple of questions that kind of came to mind, and I want to leave those with you tonight. And the first question is, is how, if if your viewpoint has changed about the day of the Lord, what effect will that have on your life after tonight? When you walk out of this door, when you understand what the day of the Lord is, about that sudden destruction, about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, What does it mean for me to walk in the light of the gospel? And so the other question is very similar to that one. And that question is, are you ready for Christ to return right now? If he were to appear tomorrow, would you be ready? Would you be be a son of light or would you be a son of darkness? And so as always, what our leaders always hope that we leave you with is that we love you enough to want you to, to tell you about Jesus. We yearn for those opportunities to to have good spiritual conversations and good theological conversations with y'all. So never leave here if you have any questions about how you could become a son of light. Or if you're like, I don't know, go up to Mr. Christian back there. He's like, hey man, Chad really confused me out day of the Lord. I need to know more about that. Come find us. Come let us know. Don't leave this place with the expectation that you have all the time in the world to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Savior. Because we don't know when our last breath will be, and according to First Thessalonians, we don't know when the day of the Lord will occur either. So as always, the altar here is open. Please come, pray if you need to. Orange cards on your, uh, 
on your chairs. We pray for those. If when you put them in this basket, they get prayed for. Um, text us, call us. We love y'all. Um, I am gonna, or we're gonna start uh, preparing to get up on stage for our last song. And in the meantime, I'll have Mr. John come and pray for us during that time. Let's pray.